we have a, a group of 10 people that meet um, three or four times a week. We're taking Eric's daily messages. We're taking them out to the coffee table and we're having a discussion on how those impact us. At Christmas time, uh, we'll also serve a meal to anyone who doesn't have a place to go. Last year we had 30 people. Oh, we uh, decided that we wanted to start a tradition of our own. And we thought about it <clears throat> and decided that we wanted to do something that would take Christ to the uh, people in the apartments. On Christmas Eve, we will de deliver gingerbread cookies and a scripture message to all of the apartments in here. 75 occupied units. Okay, that's a lot of cookies. <laughs> That'd be a lot of cookies. Yeah. <laughs> Who's gonna do the baking? I'm baking. <laughs> The baking. <laughs> You're the delivery guy. I'm the delivery. <laughs> I think the challenges are um, sometimes you think you're you're too busy, but we've found that if we start our devotions early in the morning, um, like with the Advent devotions and uh, our prayers and stuff early in the morning, that it makes the day go smoother. It's kind of neat because people will walk down the hall, oh, you're having your Bible study, you're having your coffee group, yes, come and join us. And sometimes they will, sometimes they won't, but that's okay. They have that opportunity to join us in whatever we're doing. Yeah. You gotta look at what God gives you in everything. He gives you a lot of love that you can show out to other people. You can teach them how to do it. And that is a very crucial thing. All right, let's give Roger, Norma Jean, and James a hand. Thanks for letting us get a little window into your life up at the flats. And it's a really cool thing that's going on up there. They're meeting together around God's Word and in community. And, and Kingdom of God is, is advancing in this apartment complex in Lebanon because of that. So it's a, it's a beautiful picture there. Well... Uh, my name is Justin, and uh, welcome. I'm glad to be able to share with you. Eric is in, I think he says it's going to be like 85 and sunny in Tampa today. Um, yeah, I just want to be there, I'm not going to lie. But um, 85 and sunny sounds good. But if you missed last week, we're in the second week of what we call Advent. And Advent is this season in the Christian calendar where we celebrate the coming of Christ. And Advent just means arrival. And so we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus. And last week, Eric talked about three ways that Jesus has come and will come to us. First is what we celebrate in this season, and it's Will Ferrell's preferred version of Jesus, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, if you know what I'm talking about. But um, when, he, when we celebrate this season, though, we, we remember that light came in the baby Jesus, and that light is breaking the darkness. The second coming is what those of us who have put our faith in Jesus hope for one day when all that's broken in the world will be made right and that Jesus will reign in peace and righteousness, his second coming. And then the third way is how Jesus comes in our present lives. He comes to us personally. He comes into the world today through his spirit and he brings light into the world. And then Eric also talked about hope as the first promise and reality of Advent. And he said that hope comes, it comes through four things or in four ways. First, it comes by believing in God, believing that God is a God of hope. Hope comes because God is a God of promise. If he says he will give us hope, he will give us hope because his word is true. 
And then hope comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives us his spirit that gives us hope. And then last, we receive hope by entrusting our lives to God. This morning, we're going to talk about the second theme of Advent, and that is peace. And I'll just uh, up front kind of personally say it's been a weird uh, message to prep. And I've talked a little bit about this, but I've kind of been on my own journey with anxiety and depression the last couple of years. And um, so preparing this message has been challenging because I'm kind of in the middle of it. And um, I heard a pastor say uh, recently, he's a very well-respected pastor. He said something like, uh, don't preach from wounds. Don't preach from open wounds. Preach from scars. You know, it's like this catchy little thing to preach from the things that have healed up and, and now you can talk about it. And there's part of that that I, that I agree with. The other part of it, I think, undermines that his power is made perfect in our weakness. And so, um, yeah, this morning, I just want to say, if you come in and you're carrying some weight like that, um, I just want you to know this is a place where you can bring that. You don't have to put up a front that you've got it together. You don't have to put up a front that, that life is, is great. We all know that we come and bring our best on Sunday morning. We try to have the kids behave and whatever, dress our best and whatever that might look like. You don't have to do that. Just come be as you are, and uh, this is a place where Jesus can meet you. And as God moves and his power is displayed in our weakness, he receives glory. Amen? So in that vein, I'm going to pray uh, before we get into this. So. Jesus, thank you that you have come. Thank you that you are here, that you are Emmanuel who is God with us. And this morning, I pray that that reality, that hope, that promise would be more true than it's ever been. That you would breathe on these words, Lord. Lord, would you speak, would you speak this morning, incline our ears to hear, Move us, Lord, to action. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I did a Google search of peace this week. I was just curious. And uh, when you search peace, it's funny because all the things that come up have nothing to do with peace. In fact, they're the opposite, right? So you look it up and you see stuff like wars, political division. We've got racial tensions. There's violence. There's addiction, humanitarian crises. And then there was this outlier. I ran into several articles that were about the Nobel Peace Prize. And the irony of it was the first one that I came to was titled, Why Obama Got a Nobel Peace Prize for Nothing and Trump Never Will for Anything. And I didn't read the article. I can't represent it. I, I'm sure it was ridiculous, the whole thing. But it's interesting that we can't even get a peaceful take on the Nobel Peace Prize, right? <laughs> and it, it got me thinking, though, why is there even this thing called the Nobel Peace Prize in the first place? Like, why do we have to reward people for promoting peace? It seems like something that we should just do, right? Well, my theory, and I think Scripture would back this up, is that peace isn't something that's natural to us as sinful people in a broken world. It's not something that we can just make happen in our own strength, but it's something that every one of us desperately aches for. Why is that? It's because it's how, it's how God created the world in the beginning. His creation was always meant to be marked by peace. It's a kingdom of peace. But when Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God, 
The end of peace led to one of the primary consequences that we experience today, and that is the breakdown of peace. We're not going to read this, but Genesis 3 is the account of the fall, and it records how basically every aspect of life was touched by this. In verse 15, it talks about how spiritual warfare was introduced. Verse 16, physical pain and relational brokenness were introduced. Verse 17, creation was cursed, work became painful and difficult. Verse 19, death became a reality. Verse 23, our relationship with God was broken. Because of Genesis 3, there's unrest in every aspect of our lives. But we were created for peace. And this is why Paul wrote in Romans 8 that that inwardly we groan as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Inwardly we groan for that day when what was broken in Genesis 3 is made right in glory. We groan for that. Do you experience that groaning, that sting? I think it's something that we experience, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, we live with some sort of tension like that. This longing, this groaning, this lack of peace, it's inseparable from the human experience. So what do we do with it? Is there a solution? Well, a couple of months ago, I had the second of two surgeries this year. I'm falling apart, y'all. Um, and actually, last time I preached, I was coming right off of the first surgery, so I'm hoping this isn't a pattern, you know. But um, anyways, when I go into the, to the kind of prep room, pre-surgery room, whatever they call it, um, a nurse walks in and gives me this clipboard that's got like, I don't know, 12 or 15 bullet points of things they're actually going to do. And it's all medical terminology. I have no idea what any of it means. Um, but being the carefree person that I am, I was like, yeah, I'll sign off on it, you know, right? And what it was was a sinus surgery. So I wasn't breathing well, wasn't sleeping well. They'd get an infection, stuff like that. So I just signed off on it and figured they'd make me better. Well, I'm married to Jana, and she's a detail person. And she does finances for the church, so that's a good thing. But um, she goes and asks the surgeon, hey, so what exactly are you going to be doing up there? Because she asked me, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I just signed the paper, you know. Um, she said, what exactly are you going to be doing? And the surgeon, I kid you not, this was his answer. It's very medical. He goes, um, imagine the sinuses like a living room. And we're just going to move some furniture around, and he'll be fine. <laughs> and Jan was like, what? Like, the living room furniture? Like, I've got a big nose, but there's not a recliner up there. And... You see, you need to know truth before you can have peace. And in, in this case, the surgeon blew some hot air about interior design. And we need to know, like, what he was going to be doing in my sinuses, right? In the same way, in this life, you have to know truth before you can have peace. Truth precedes peace. And as you know, culture doesn't like us claiming truth, but it's critical. So if you've got a Bible or the Bible app, uh, check out Romans 8. It'll be on the screen if you have neither. Uh, we're going to start uh, verse 5 and 6. It says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So Paul is talking about two different types of people, 
and two different kinds of lives, people of the flesh and people of the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Adam and Eve, they made a decision from the flesh. They made a decision out of the flesh. And what's Paul say the outcome is? Death. The flesh refers to like human impulses. And living from impulse will lead to death. Think about it in our life. Sexuality driven by the flesh leads to infidelity, divorce, addiction to pornography, promiscuity, abuse, disease. These are all deaths. Anger left to the impulses, it leads to relationships ending, broken trust, violence, wars. The result is death. How about this one? Image maintenance or self-sufficiency. Our culture actually applauds these to some extent. Both of these are, they actually lead to things like isolation, insecurity, workaholism, working too much, loneliness, addiction, suicide. These are deaths. And this isn't even scratching the surface, but you get the point. Living according to the flesh results in death. Spiritual death, emotional death, physical death, and ultimately eternal death, separation from God. You see, there's a real being called Satan who is the father of lies, and the allure of sin is a scheme of his. It's a lie that says, just do you, just give in. If it feels good, do it. If it makes you look better, do it. If you can cut a corner to make more, do it. Climb the corporate ladder. But what's Paul say? The mindset on the flesh leads to death. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is the outcome of life that's lived and governed from the flesh. But then Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's the outcome of life that is set on the Spirit. And I want to experience that life. And this, church, is the truth that precedes peace. That God's creation was ruined by the decisions driven by the flesh and resulted in brokenness and separation from God. But God, who's loving and compassionate, He made a way. He sent Jesus, which we celebrate in this season, who ultimately became a sacrifice for us. That's the truth. And now we have a choice. Are we going to live by the flesh, set our minds on the flesh, or are we going to live by the Spirit, setting our minds on the Spirit, which leads to life and peace? And if you've never made a decision to surrender to Jesus, and that's a choice. Everyone's got to make it, and you can make that choice today. And maybe you're like me. You've been following Jesus for a long time, and you're kind of wrestling with, like, I know that I know the truth. I've given my life to Christ, but you're still restless. You're experiencing anxiety. You're, you're fixated on things of the world, and you can't get past it. Why is that? I think it's because knowledge alone, knowing the truth, it doesn't make spiritual truth come to life. I don't think knowledge alone is enough. The only way that spiritual truth comes to life in us is when we reorder or reposition our lives based on the truth. We have to position our lives to receive peace. Let's look at Romans 8, 6 again. It says, to set the mind, somebody say set the mind, on the flesh is death. 
but to set the mind, say it again, set the mind. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And Paul's making a statement about positioning. Those who live according to the flesh, they have their mind set in a certain way on the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, they have their mind set on the Spirit. It's a positioning statement. It's to intentionally and decisively think about and focus on things. And we have to position ourselves to receive from the Lord. Boys, you guys come up. To help illustrate this point, I recruited some help. You're a NBA prospects, 20, 25, or 50, or whatever they are. I don't know. So, uh, let's see who we got. Ken the red shirt, this is my son, Bram. Bram's 11. This is Bryce Meyer. Uh, you're a sixth grader, right? So, Bram's a fifth grader in Lebanon. Bram, or Bryce, is a uh, sixth grader at Zionsville. Ball. So, Bryce's dad, Tony, by the way, I'm going to shout out to Tony. He's in his, you're mid-40s, right? He's, not to throw him under, Tony looks better, is in better shape, is a better basketball player than I ever could be and ever will be. So he's kind of my goal at, at like 44 or something. I don't know. <laughs> Ball on your head. All right, so here we go. I help coach Bram's basketball team. And at this age in fifth grade, one of the things that we want to do is we want to instill fundamentals, right? Fundamentals are really important, especially if they want to play at any higher level. They have to understand the foundation, okay? And so one of the fundamentals that we talk a lot about in basketball terms, we call it spacing. For our, for our purposes this morning, we'll call it positioning. And so one of the things that we see a lot when it comes to spacing is like they'll want the ball, but they won't move where they're open, so it looks like this. So Bryce is on offense. I'm the defender. Bram's the teammate trying to get a pass. It looks like this. So I'm playing defense, but I'm between him, right? Do it again. And I'm just like padding my stat sheet. Steals for days, right? Okay, does that make sense? So the idea here, though, that we coach the boys on is, hey, you've got to move into position where you can get a pass. So Bram, move. So what happens now is if I'm guarding him, he's actually got a chance to make that pass. Does that make sense? All right, so let's consider this from a spiritual standpoint, okay? Spiritually speaking, Bryce represents God. Sorry, Tony and Lisa. I hope that doesn't carry over into the rest of the day. You represent God, okay? Bram, I want you all to identify with Bram. Bram is us. He's people. Everyday life, you and me, okay? I represent all the cares of the world, okay? I represent money, which is... Not a one-to-one comparison, but popularity, academics, power, comfort, all those things, right? So I represent those things, the stuff that, that gets in the way of us and God, okay? Now, what do all kids do? If you've been to a sporting event and you don't have the ball, but you want the ball, what, are the, what do kids do? What do they do? You guys are so tame. What do they do? Show me by what they do and speak it. And they scream. And maybe it's just our kids. They're all like, hey. You know, so Bram, I want you to just act natural, do what you guys do, okay? So I'm going to show you what this looks like spiritually. So Bram, go ahead, proceed. What do you want? Call it out. Come on. No, you're over here. You're over here. All right, come on. Oh, hey, he got one through. Hey, not every, not every analogy holds up. Okay, here we go. Come on. Let's go. All right, so see what's happening? Holler a little louder, bud. Come on. Stats, baby, stats. All right, you get the idea. All right. Um, so I think what Bram is doing happens a lot in the spiritual life. 
We want to hear from God. We want to receive from God, but we're stagnant, right? We stay put. We don't move. And I think we, we can't get out of the way of the desires of the flesh that block our view of God. We stand there and, and we yell, right? We yell at God. Hey, God, like, why don't you pass me the ball? Why don't you give me peace? Why don't you uh, help me break free from this addiction? Or why can't I experience power in my life? We yell at God. Why, God? Why? God, right here, right here, right? And all the while, we stay there screaming at God, unwilling to shift our priority, unwilling to shift our position where we're fixated on making more money and, and we can't let go of that relationship or we're afraid of being rejected if we talk about Jesus or, or we, won't, we won't free up our calendar for Jesus. We're too busy or we, we put family expectations first or whatever it looks like. It looks like a million things for each person. We stay there because we, there's some sort of comfort that comes with this because it's what we know. But if we want to hear and receive from God, I think this is what has to happen. Frame shift. I think there needs to be a shift. There needs to be a change in our position, in our proximity to God. I think it's individual, as individuals. I think our families need to be set up a little differently. What's the priority of your home? I think our church, I'm talking eagle, I'm talking the church at large, something's got to shift if we want to see a move of God, if we want to receive from God. I think this is what we have to do. Oh, come on. And not every defender is this size for them, you know. But <laughs> All right, hold the ball. To position our lives is to be in his word, to obey his word. It's to adjust our priorities to the things of God, to cut some things out of our life that distract us from him. It's to die to ourselves. It's to position our lives to receive from God. All right, boys, pass the ball around. So I want to ask a question. Is this, are they playing basketball right now? Are they playing basketball? What are they doing? Yeah, they're playing catch. It's not basketball. What's the point of basketball? What's the point of moving into space? Yeah, to reach the goal. The point of, the point of moving into space is so that you have a way to attack the goal and to score. As Bram likes to say, buckets. Like, right? We want to get buckets. And the goal of that is to win. You want your team to win. And so I'll ask that. I'll ask this then. Is this the point of receiving peace? So Jesus came and he promises peace and hope and love and joy and, and a whole plethora of other things. Is this the point? Because what happens? Hit me. I receive from God. I go, I got the ball. I love, I love having the ball in my hands. And my favorite thing about having the ball in my hands is being stagnant and safe. <laughs> is that the point of receiving from God? No, the point of receiving from God is then to take what he's given you and to go. Is to go, is to attack, is to be on the offensive. Does that make sense? And I think that if, if it's a gospel that is just about receiving, it's about self-help. Church, that's not the gospel. That's incomplete. It's positioning without offense. It's good passing, but no attacking. We can't just receive God's word. We can't just receive his peace and receive his spirit and then go home satisfied, right? Having done nothing about it, that's being somebody that hears but doesn't do. 
No, we're called to go on the offensive, to build the kingdom as people who are transformed by Jesus, who are living in the power of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Guys, you guys take a seat. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. Oh, first, hold on, guys. Hey, hey, hey. I got you guys some Sour Patch Kids for all your troubles. And maybe it'll hold you over till the sermon's done. (laughs) So, We're not just called to know truth and position our lives to receive peace. We are also called to be peacemakers, peacemakers. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers, right? He didn't say blessed are the neutral parties. He said blessed are the peacemakers. That's proactive. That's looking outside of ourselves, We're part of something called the kingdom of God, and it's really, really, really important that we become like Jesus. That's really important. But the whole point is a big so that, so that we can powerfully step into the world with the message and peace of Christ. Last month, I had the privilege of going to Bosnia with one of our elders and worship leaders and a good friend, Ryan Threlkeld. Uh, Ryan's playing the keys over here, by the way. Um, But it was an amazing trip. And it was the first time I'd been there, and I've talked about Bosnia quite a bit from here, but my representation of Bosnia has basically been like data that I, that from a paper. You know what I mean? Like, I know some stats about it. I know there was a civil war in the 90s. I know that the believers there, they, they think are maybe 700, and that's probably a high number. Um, I know that there are kind of three ethno-religious groups that made up kind of the three sides of the war. Um, I kind of know some data about it, but actually experiencing it, has a very different impact. And um, for two and a half days, Ryan and I, we rode around in a car with a, a dear brother. His name's Pastor Mario. There's a picture of, of Mario, I believe, somewhere. Um, but he pastors in multiple cities. Yeah, there's Mario. And um, one of his primary strategies and callings is to pray. He's on the front lines in an unreached part of the world, and he is called to pray. And so he, once a month, goes into different towns and just prayer walks. He goes in there, walks the streets, and he prays. He tries to find people to have conversation with, and he's built kind of a network of relationships, and he goes and has coffee and doesn't see a whole lot of fruit from it. But he prays. And we rode around with him for two and a half days. And it was like, I mean, it was probably 10 hours a day that we were riding around in this little, uh, like a little Toyota hatchback or something. It was very comfortable. Um, and, uh, but we hit all these different towns, 10 or 11 towns over two days. And every time we'd roll into the town, we'd ask Pastor Mario, hey, how many people live in this town? And how many people here follow Jesus? And data on paper says that we shouldn't have been surprised by the response, Right? But there's something about experiencing this in, in reality. We'd roll into a town and say, hey, hey, Mario, how many people live here? And it'd be, you know, maybe 5,000 in a smaller town. We'd say, hey, how many believers? Zero. We'd go to the next town. Hey, hey Pastor Mario, how many people live here? Like 20,000. How many believers? Zero. We went to towns that were upwards of 50,000. Hey, how many people live here? 50,000. Zero. 15,000. Zero. 20,000. Zero. 40,000. Zero. And the last day we were with Mario, we got to spend time with him in their, their little church of about 15 or so. And he, he said, we call this a mega church in Bosnia, which I love that. <laughs> this church has a soup kitchen, though, where, 
where these 15 people, they provide a hot meal for 30 to 35 folks every day. So Tuesday through Friday, it's a hot meal there, and then they send them home with dry food to get them through the weekend. And it's a very poor community. This church does not have money, but they're generous and they're open-handed with the community. But every Friday, Pastor Mario gets up and preaches the gospel. And we got to join them and eat with them. And I'm telling you, it was the best meal we had. It was incredible. And he said, yeah, we, we try to make the very best food that we can because we want them to know how much Jesus loves them. <laughs> I love that picture. And after lunch, every person in that room would walk up to Pastor Mario and the other people from the church, and they'd hug him, they'd thank him, they'd tell him about their families, they'd give him up, updates on their health, they'd tell him what they are up to that day. And every one of those people didn't know Jesus, every one of them. And in fact, every one of those people was, it was most likely that they would have been on the other side of the war from Pastor Mario's family. They would have fought in different sides of the war. And I think that this is a beautiful picture of the peace of Christ being received and then distributed through the lives of this tiny little community of believers. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we're called to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. That's a ministry of peace. That's when there's division. That's ministry that brings things together and unites them under Christ. It's going into places where there's hostility in the spiritual and in the temporal, and you display and proclaim this kingdom of peace. And it's what this little group of believers were doing. We were blown away by it. It was incredible. And remember the Google search about peace? I think Bosnia is probably poster child and cover story for that. Corruption, war, racism, division, political turmoil. But the people of God are there. And the kingdom of God is advancing. We just had a sense that there's kind of a groundswell of God doing something. That there's light breaking out in dark places there. And whether it's Bosnia, or it's Zionsville, or it's Thorntown, or it's Carmel, it's Lebanon, there's darkness and the people of God are there. And we're called to step into that space with the peace of Christ, with the light of Christ, with the hope of Christ. And Jesus said, those who go and are peacemakers, they're the children of God. We have the truth. We have this hope. We have this peace, and it's Jesus. Let's position our lives to receive and then let's move in as peacemakers into this desperately restless world. So this morning, I just want to ask a couple of simple questions. If you were to take a self-assessment of your life, do you live according to the flesh? Are you controlled and distracted by the worries of this world? Does that dictate your time, your priorities? Or do you live according to the Spirit? Walking in truth, positioned to receive from God. Living as a child of God that proclaims the Prince of Peace has come. This morning, may we be people who respond to truth by positioning our lives to receive and then engage the world as ministers of reconciliation. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you that you 
Aren't a God who hides from us? You're not playing some game. You've made yourself available to us. You've revealed yourself through your word. You've given us your spirit. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who respond to that truth by ordering our lives, by positioning our lives based on you. That our primary input would be your voice and your word. And from that, Lord, we know the truth that we receive peace. But Lord, I pray that you would compel us then to be peacemakers that go into the world. And as you do, Lord, we trust and we know that you are a God of promise and that you give us your spirit to empower us. And so help us to move in that way. Lord, we honor you this morning. You're worthy of our lives, Lord. You're worthy for us to surrender our lives to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are Emmanuel, God, with us. And we just covenant together to move. Lord, wherever you lead, whatever door is open, we covenant to move as your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.